Hey, Helen, let's promote our next live audience shows. Okie dokie. We've got two back-to-back on Sunday, October 16th at Center for Inquiry West in Los Angeles. Our scheduled guests are at 4 p.m. Rob Cordry and Mimi Pond, and at 6 p.m. Ben Glebe and Rose Abdu. Tickets are pay what you wish. So go to gofactorpod.com for more info. Now here's the show. Okie dokie. Are you a real know-it-all? Do you annoy your family by shouting the answers while watching Jeopardy? Do you drive people crazy when you start a sentence with, (laughs) well, actually? Well, guess what? You can go fact yourself. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Go Fact Yourself, the show where we quiz the smartest people we know and find out why they love what they love. I'm Helen Hong. And now from the game show boot camp in Las Vegas, Nevada. Here's our moderator, Jay Keith Van Stratton. Thank you so much, Helen. Thank you, everybody. Thank you so much, Helen. It's so wonderful to be back here in Las Vegas. I know that you have mixed feelings about Las Vegas. I do. I don't gamble. I guess I enjoy a dancing waterfall mm-hmm. pool thing. Now, what about um, food? Do you enjoy food, Helen? I do enjoy food. Because Las Vegas is a wonderful place to have a lot of food. Well, the buffets, I know Las Vegas is so famous for the, the world-class buffets. I'm trying to be less gluttonous. Ah, I have not reached that point in my yeah. life. I love buffets so much. I I don't know if they still do this in Las Vegas, but at some point when I was here, I think it was Caesars offered an option where you could get a buffet of buffets. What? Uh, yes, you would pay. You would play. You pay a flat fee. You'll get a wristband, which is the sign of class for any dining establishment. <laughs> And you could go to any of their properties what? and enjoy any of their buffets as much as you want for a certain period of time. And I see some people nodding in the audience that that is still a thing. I think I'm going to be staying another day in Las Vegas. Uh, but and of you course, did this. Yeah, oh, you oh, bought the wristband. A hundred percent. You flashed it and you were like, hey, hey, you, got, you cut to the front of the line. Oh, yes. There's also the, the line cutting wristband, too. You probably know this about me, Helen. Uh, I'm a bit of a cheapskate. And so if I'm going to pay more than, you know, $13 for a meal, I'm damn sure I'm going to get my money's worth. In between buffets, you you made yourself almost sick. Yep. Did I regret it? Not until the next morning. (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, (laughs) my cardiologist was very, very impressed. Uh, I don't have a cardiologist, (laughs) but my persona does. I like that idea. Today on Go Fact Yourself, two guests will compete to answer questions about facts they know, facts they may not know, and frankly, facts they should know. Plus, we'll meet actual experts on two very different topics, and finally, we'll declare one of our guests the winner of today's show. Let's get started and meet today's guest, Helen, who is up first. He is a world speed quizzing champion who's won game shows in both the UK and the US, and who makes quick work of challengers as the lightning bolt. On The Chase, it's Brandon Blackwell. Brandon Blackwell, everybody. Hello, Brandon. Hi, J. Keith. Hi, Helen. Welcome. Welcome. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's our pleasure. Now, uh, some of the game shows that uh, you've been on and done well on were uh, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire, Million Second Quiz, Britain's University Challenge. Uh, Now, how does trivia culture compare in the UK versus the US? Well, for game shows, I always say that the US has bad questions and great money, and the Mm -hmm. UK has great questions and bad money. Okay. Jeopardy, I was on the team tournament and yeah. lost, but got through to the semifinal on a wild card and then lost my second round. Mm-hmm. $10,000. Oh, University, USA. Yeah, USA. USA. Right. Now, <laughs> University Challenge, mm-hmm. 
Our team won every game by an average of 150 points. <gasps> one of the most dominant teams of all time. I'm one of the highest scoring contestants. I won zero dollars. Oh. Zero pounds. It was pounds. the UK, so you won it zero in a classy pounds. way. Right, yeah. exactly. Yeah, they gave, I think they gave me tea in the green room. I think that was <laughs> You mentioned that show you were on. You, is it true you actually made $400,000 by the time you were 20? It was 392516 but 400000 sounds so much it better. Do, it really well, does. It really yeah. does. Yeah. Who would be that. impressed with that other number? Right, yeah, I was yeah. about to say, yeah. No. Wait, were you allowed to like keep that money, and, and, you, and did you blow it all on, on teenager stuff? Uh, right, oh, no, it was, it was strongly suggested suggested with but capital S's that it was uh, put towards college, which I went to NYU, so 392,516 yeah. is enough for books in a semester. Yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> what, did you, what did you do for your sophomore right, year? Yeah, yeah. I, I paid for one year and bought a Happy Meal, and did, I was broke. Yeah. How did you get into trivia and game shows at such a young age? The thing is, I'm not a very tall guy, and so I would always get picked last for things like uh, everything mm -hmm. uh, at gym. Mm -hmm. and, dodgeball uh, was not right, your... Yeah. Yeah. Um, I was very good at dodgeball because I could get out of the way, but um, <laughs> I'm still very good at that. What would happen was anytime we had spelling bees or math competitions, mm -hmm. I'd always get picked first. And I'm like, oh, I should lean into this. Hold on okay. a second. It sort of was latent for a while until I was watching Jeopardy one day. And I was, I believe I was 12 or 13. And I was like, oh, this is very easy. My father was like, okay, it's easy. Try out. And mm -hmm. I was like, oh, good one. He's like, no, I'm serious. Try <laughs> out. And I was on Jeopardy when I was 14. And then wow. nothing for four more years. And yeah. I kind of went on Who Wants to Be a Millionaire or tried out for Who Wants to Be a Millionaire on a whim at mm -hmm. 18. Whoa. And then that sort of snowballed. And then at about 20, um, I was on a show, I'm sorry, I was on a show when I was 19. Mm -hmm. It was a show called Main Second Quiz. I got to the final, and in the final, I lost 70 to 20, which is actually such a bad beating that I don't even need to explain how the game worked <laughs> to let you know that I got my butt beat. It, like, yeah, even tennis scoring, right, that's not a good score. I was about to say, there's yeah. no scoring system in which 70 to yeah. 20 is a close match. But the guy who I lost to kind of got me into the more serious stuff, and I've been doing it since. Well, how does one lean into trivia? Like, did you study? Did you... It turned from a hobby to a, a hob session, I guess, and mm -hmm. now it's just, it's an obsession that I, I do get paid for, so I can actually get away with calling it a job, so that's good. Very, very Whoa. cool. On the chase, you have the nickname The Lightning Bolt, because uh, you, you're specialty is speed. Right. Was that something that you try to do? Like you try to be faster, faster every time? Or is that more important to you than being accurate necessarily? Oh uh, yeah. Well, when I train for trivia, I, the way I train, I sort of incorporate it in uh, because there's some formats where it's just about getting things right. And then right. there's some formats where you, it's not just getting things right. It's getting things right before the other person. Right. Mm. In my mind, being fast is as important as being right. So when I found a competition that incorporated that, I was like, oh, great. Let's, let's cool. see what I can do. Do you, do you also have to work on like your thumb technique, you know, hitting the buzzer or, or, or like slamming the button before anyone else? Yeah, I always try to recreate game uh, situations. In fact, the university challenge, uh, the buzzers, they're actually in the table. It's not like Jeopardy where you have mm. a device. Mm. The buzzer on university challenge, there's no give. So you really have to like put your body oh. weight into it. Yeah. Yeah. And it's funny because when I watched the show, I saw people pressing the buzzer and I'm like, why are they like really like they're really going hard? Mm -hmm. And then I press it for the first time. And I'm like, oh, no, you have to put like a lot like Dolph Lundgren, like really <laughs> PSI is like in Rocky four with the, the PSI measurement. Last one to ask you about. Uh, you describe yourself as a trivia villain. And I'm yeah. curious uh, why you do that. And what is it like being a trivia villain? Part of it is it intentional because I feel like on the chase, our, our role is. Not, not to be a, an actual bad guy, but to sort of antagonize the contestants. I mean, we are trying to crush their dreams and stop them from earning money and, <laughs> yeah. and taking their grandma to see the Aurora Borealis or whatever. But, uh, <laughs> oh, <laughs> uh, when you put it well, that way. Or, or what, you know, whatever. You know, th sometimes they have these great stories and you have to be like, oh, well, I, I kind of want to stop you from winning. It's my job to yeah. stop you from doing yeah. that really nice thing that you want to do. Um, but then uh, on other shows, I don't know why, I guess... Uh, for instance, in University Challenge, I was, I was not a, a big hit uh, popularity-wise. Mm. So I guess that was sort of a, 
unintentional and then it sort of leaned into it because in the chase that's kind of what we get paid for yeah leaning in that's what we're learning from Brandon leaning in not just for Cheryl Sandberg no No. we gotta yeah I live for commitment to the bit that's the thing with me oh you will fit in very well on this show thank you so much for being here Brandon Blackwell everybody Helen, against whom will Brandon be competing? She is a writer and public speaker who won over $1 million during her 40-day streak on Jeopardy and will be competing in the upcoming Jeopardy Tournament of Champions. It's Amy Schneider! Amy Schneider! Hi, Amy! Hello. Wonderful to have you here. Your 40-game streak on Jeopardy is the second longest streak ever. It's the fourth highest regular season tally. And I'm wondering when it's done, you have this, you won $1.3 million. Did they give you a check for $1.3 million? They absolutely did. What? Wow. Yes. It came in the mail on the day that my last episode aired. We were having a a watch party for the last episode. Took it over there to show our friends the $1.3 million check because that was so cool. And then we popped some champagne and it spilled on the check. No. <laughs> but it, that, I believe, is the definition of a high-class problem. <laughs> yeah. But uh, it's it still cleared, so yeah. Yeah. Uh, is it true that in eighth grade you were actually voted most likely to appear on Jeopardy? Yes, I was. Yeah. Um, so, so you come by this honestly. This is something not a surprise to people. No. And, you know, and I agreed with it at the time. Yeah. I was a very arrogant little kid when it came to, like, <laughs> you know, knowledge. Although, to be fair, they did not say most likely to win on Jeopardy or to win 40 times in a row. Well, I mean, that's true. But they couldn't foresee everything, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> well, you have an interesting strategy. I read that you said that uh, if you see a category in which you feel weak, you actually want to take that on first. Why is that? Because that way, if they're one of the daily doubles is in that category, that I feel less likely to get, then there'll be less money at stake because we won't have built up as much to potentially wager. So just get that out of the way and then not have to worry about it. Yeah. Strategy. Strategy, Mm. man. How do you find the buzzer on Jeopardy? I mean, to an extent, you just got to like show up and find out if you've got the timing or not because you you can't really predict. You know, certainly I practiced like how to pen and like practice just getting in the habit of timing when to ring in and, and hoping that I had it about right. The strategy I came in with didn't really work. And so about like halfway through my first game, I just like threw it all out and was like, I'm just, you know, use the force, Luke. Like, let's just. <laughs> wow. You, of course, got great acclaim from being on Jeopardy for so long. Uh, what are some of the coolest things that you've gotten to do, aside, obviously, from being on a podcast in a ballroom <laughs> in a Hampton Inn? I mean, <laughs> this is pretty elite. I did go to the White House. They took me to the, the press briefing room and they're like, just get up there and say a few things. And like, no, they're, they're not going to ask any questions. And then I went up there and they started asking questions. <laughs> and, and I was like, well, you know, I've watched The West Wing. I can do this. <laughs> you did a long walk and talk as well and <laughs> yeah. you know, low lighting. That's great. What kind of questions do people want to know then? Somebody asked me what I thought about, was the Biden administration doing enough for trans people? And I was yeah. like, I think that's my cue to be done. I don't think I should be. <laughs> yeah. You mentioned about being a trans woman. If I, you don't mind my asking a question about that. I, I read that Jeopardy actually connected you with someone from GLAAD before the show, which I thought was really uh, insightful. And, and uh, was that helpful for you as well? It absolutely was. Yeah. So it was, there was a few, like a couple weeks between when my last episode taped and the first one aired. You know, this is what they do. They is work with trans or queer people that are suddenly public figures. Mm. And so they just like walked me through like all the worst case scenarios of things that could happen, none of which did, but just oh, it was that's nice to hear. Yeah, but it was just comforting to like know what the plan was if they did. And then also like during the like press blitz that was going on at the end, they kind of vetted news organizations for me and, and let me know whether I, I could, you know, trust them. 
Very cool. How does one figure out what to wear when one goes on Jeopardy? It's a good question, especially for me, because I almost exclusively wear short-sleeved dresses, mm. and I wasn't allowed to wear short sleeves or dresses uh, for <laughs> for Jeopardy. Why? For dresses, it's because they wanted to have a separate place to clip the mic pack, mm. oh. and then the tattoo was so just like IP thing. They would have had to get clearance from the artist, oh, so I had to cover up a tattoo on my arm. Yeah. Can you share a little bit about the good that, that came from it, from being a, a trans woman in such a public space there? Absolutely. I mean, it. the first time I heard a story like this, it was crazy to me of somebody saying that their, you know, 80-year-old grandfather or something along those lines, like, seeing me was, like, the first time that they had heard their grandfather, like, using the right pronouns for a mm. trans person <gasps> and, like, really getting it. Wow. And then I can't even tell you how many times I've heard, like, variations on that exact story. And which is, you know, not something I anticipated. I, I, you know, certainly thought and hoped that it would be, you know, an overall positive thing. But just realizing how many people... You know, I, I live in the Bay Area, and so it's just like, yeah, everybody knows what trans people's mm. deal is, but, you know, that's not true. And so, like, it really, like, it was the first time a lot of people had seen a trans person that was just, you know, being normal, doing normal things. Like, Jeopardy is one of the most normal things that there is. <laughs> Maybe not winning 40 games in a row, but yeah. 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 But nonetheless, yeah. And so it, it really changed people's minds. Just just seeing one trans person was way more impactful than I thought. Representation matters? I, I completely agree. And I, and I love that your visibility came kind of you know, the trans, your transness was incidental to the fact that you're mm -hmm. like on Jeopardy and winning a lot, like doing really well on Jeopardy, which is like a dream for a lot of Americans, you know, like kind of in middle America. like USA. <laughs> USA. <laughs> Thank you so much for being here. It's a pleasure to have you join us, Amy Schneider, everybody. Thank you. All right, Brandon and Amy, we asked each of you to provide us with a few topics outside your field of work in which you feel you some expertise. Brandon, you said you know a lot about the periodic table winners of the Nobel Peace Prize, and perhaps not something you would normally see on Jeopardy, things Pauly Walnuts has said or done on The Sopranos. Uh, that's, that's absolutely right. Whereas, Amy, you said you know a lot about the book Moby Dick, The Dutch War of Independence, and the TV show Daria. Now, later on, we're going to ask each of you some in-depth trivia questions about one of those topics. But first, we're going to get your thoughts on something you might know nothing about, although they probably know something about it. <laughs> uh, it's time to split some hairs with our What's the Difference round. We'll have one question for each of you, each worth up to two points. If either of you gives an incorrect answer, the other person has a chance to steal. Your topic today, bet the farm. First up is Brandon with Bet. Brandon, your question comes from a listener. Who is it, Helen? I will let them tell you themselves. Is that because we have a listener recording? No, it's because we have a live in-person listener submission. Ooh. Woo! <laughs> Listeners, if you'd like to submit a suggestion for our What's the Difference round, go to gofactyourpod.com and click on Get Involved. Okay, hey, listener, take it away. Oh, I know this listener. It's Paul Bailey, founder of the game show Boot Camp. Hey. <laughs> Hello. Hello, Paul. This is so fun. Oh, excellent. Well, we've had a wonderful time being here uh, at your event. Can you tell us briefly about what the Game Show Boot Camp is and who it's benefiting? Well, the Game Show Boot Camp is an evolution of various other trivia and game show events that we've done over the years, and it's benefiting Project 150, which provides assistance and support to homeless and or displaced high school kids in Nevada. And people can find out more information about that and donate at project150.org. Everything that we're doing uh, here today is a benefit for that. So thank you to Project 150, and thank you so much for having us, the founder of our feast. And we had to put him on the show. Uh, <laughs> 
I'm kidding. We're happy to have you. Paul, I understand you have a question for What's the Difference? What is that question? Hi, I'm G. Paul Bailey from Boulder, Colorado. And I love this show and Jeopardy and The Runner and The Buffet of Buffets, which I've done a couple times. (laughs) But my question for What's the Difference is, while you might do either one here in Las Vegas, what's the difference between betting and gambling? All right. Paul Bailey. Thank you so much, G. Paul Bailey. All right, Brandon, you heard Paul. What is the difference between betting and gambling? Uh, that is a good question. Uh, like Thank Helen, you, Paul. Yeah. It's a good question, says Brandon. Uh, like Helen, I'm not a big gambler, so I've been doing a lot of buffet hunting myself here in Las oh, Vegas okay. while I've been here. Uh, let's say that betting is a subsection of gambling. Okay. Gambling is sort of like a, a catch-all term for anything where you're putting up something up at risk mm-hmm. and uh, betting is a specific kind of uh, gambling where it involves some type of interaction some type of interaction all right <laughs> brandon has not stopped shrugging for the last 35 seconds my, my shoulders are three feet above my head yeah that's right. all right we've got brandon's answer we don't know yet if he is entirely correct amy if you don't think he's got it right you can steal do you have anything to add or change to brandon's answer i'll come up with this one betting okay. does not necessarily involve money you can bet other things things. Gambling specifically is about betting money. That's what I'll go with. All right. And you did. All right. Well, this segment needs to fold them. Let's go to Helen Hong at the judges table for the facts. Here are the facts. Betting is wagering on the outcome of an event where there's no way to know the exact odds. Like, I'll bet I'm right and you're wrong. Or I'll bet that Vanna White will wear a green dress on the next episode of Wheel of Fortune. Gambling is wagering where the exact odds are known, like in casino games where winning and losing can be predicted, and it's usually losing. Yeah, it is. Uh, (laughs) That's right. In sporting events, odds are often assigned based on some math and some opinions of experts, but there's no way of knowing the odds precisely. That's why you bet on a game rather than gamble on one, because you never know if the star player will twist an ankle on the way to the field, for instance. Although lately, I do seem to know that my team, the Angels, will probably lose. Again. Helen, how did our guest do? I don't think either one of you got no, that right. No, but very uh, very reasonable answers, but no points there. I'm terribly sorry. It's weird saying that to two like, huge <laughs> like, Have you ever heard minds, such a thing before? That, uh, so many times. Okay, <laughs> so <great. laughs> All right, well, let's go to our uh, next topic. Up next in Bet the Farm is Amy with Farm. Amy, while you're unlikely to find either one here in Las Vegas proper, what's the difference between a farm and a ranch? A farm and a ranch. I think that would be that a ranch is for animals that includes like area for animals that uh, that graze mm-hmm. and that a farm is not necessarily and that, it you know, like if you just have chickens or something, that's a farm but not a ranch. But if you've got something that needs to roam around and graze for to be fed, then that's a ranch. All right. We've got Amy's answer. We don't know yet if she's entirely correct. Brandon, anything you want to change or add? My first thought was that a ranch has to do with the type of animals and the grazing. Mm-hmm. I do think that sometimes I've seen farms where I, cows eat grass or something like that, where they're sort of out to pasture. I would say that the difference is that a ranch is sort of an area of land that is specifically for cattle. Mm-hmm. And farm, I think, would imply agriculture of, or growing of some type of like a crop. Some type of crop. All right, well, it's harvest time for this segment. Let's go to Helen Hong at the judges table for the facts. Here are the facts. All ranches are farms, but not all farms are ranches. Because a farm is a piece of land that grows some sort of commodity, whether animal or plant. Meats, grains, fruits, you know, 
farm stuff. Mm -hmm. A ranch is a specific type of farm devoted to large herds of grazing animals, usually cattle or sheep. This means that ranches are usually larger than other farms. That's right. Though, to be clear, just because you have grazing animals does not mean you are on a ranch. Dairy cows, goats, and pigs can all graze. And when it comes to chickens, when you're in Nevada, you want to be very careful about asking to visit the chicken farm versus trying to visit the chicken ranch. (laughs) Helen, how did our guest do? I think I'm going to give you each one point. Yeah, because Amy, you got uh, the ranch portion correct. And then Brandon, you did mention agriculture for the farm. So I'm going to give you each one point. Each one point. And what is our score at the end of that round, Helen? At the end of that round, Brandon Blackwell has one point and Amy Schneider has one point. But those scores are bound to change as we move on to questions about topics our guests have chosen for themselves. That's all up ahead when we come back on Go Fact Yourself. Oh, Helen, guess what time it is to talk about? Well, I can always tell when you get super excited that we're going to be talking about cereal. Not just any cereal. It's Magic Magic Spoon. Spoon! You know, whenever I think about back in the day having my uh, breakfast cereal as a kid, you can't help but get nostalgic when you think about eating those sugary cereals. But as an adult, you can't have kid cereals. You have to have these bland, boring adult cereals. Or they want you to have like a boring protein shake or a supplement. Well, guess what? You can have fun again with Magic Spoon. Oh, Magic Spoon, you replicate my favorite childhood cereals to taste good and be good for me. Helen, how are they good for me? Each serving contains zero grams of sugar, over 13 grams of protein, and less than five grams of net carbs. Magic Spoon is a low-carb, keto-friendly, gluten-free, grain-free, and soy-free way to relive those moments watching your favorite cartoons. Plus, it's only 140 calories a serving. It's like there's magic in every spoon. Get it? Oh, and they have so many great flavors. Uh, You got your cocoa, fruity, frosted, peanut butter, blueberry muffin, maple, waffle, honey nut cookies and cream, cinnamon roll. I like to combine them personally. I like to put a little fruity, a little cocoa. It's just uh, it's just who I am. It's what I do. Hey, <laughs> Helen, how can they get Magic Spoon right now and help support the show? Head to magicspoon.com slash gofact to grab a custom bundle of cereal and try the magic for yourself. And be sure to use our promo code GOFACT at checkout to save $5 off your order. And Magic Spoon is so confident in their product, it's backed with a 100% happiness guarantee. So if you don't like it, they will refund your money, no questions asked. That's magicspoon.com slash GOFACT and use the code GOFACT to save $5 off. Thank you, Magic Spoon. More like Magic Spooky. (laughs) Hello, dreamers. This is Evelyn Denton, CEO of the only world-class, fully immersive theme resort, Steeplechase. You know, I've been seeing more and more reports on the blogs that our beloved park simply isn't safe anymore. Murdered them? I'm gonna wreck it. They say they got mugged by brigands in the fantasy kingdom of Ephemera or hijacked by space pirates in Infinitum. I mean, I could have a knife. My papa said that I needed to do a crime. Friends, I'm here to reassure you that it's all part of the show. These criminals were really just overzealous staff trying to make things a little more magical for our guests. We're just as safe as we've always been. This isn't a county fair, dreamers. This is Steeplechase. The Adventure Zone. Every Thursday at MaximumFun.org. 
Welcome back to Go Fact Yourself with our guests, Brandon Blackwell and Amy Schneider. Once again, here's J. Keith Van Stratton. Thank you, Helen. Thank you, everybody. All right, Brandon, of your many interests, you told us you know a lot about the periodic table, winners of the Nobel Peace Prize, and things Polly Walnut has said or done on The Sopranos. The Holy Trinity. All right. <laughs> Let's find out a little bit more about each of those. First, tell us what the periodic table means to you. I've known it actually for a long time, because I don't know if you've ever been to National Wholesale Liquidators or anything like that. NWL? No. Sure. Yeah, you, you go down to the end of aisle 16, where they uh -huh. sell the placemats. Uh -huh. I had a bunch of those as a kid. And I ate a lot as a kid, and my parents bought me this periodic table placemat. Uh -huh. And so every time I would eat, I'd be looking down at Dysprosium while I'm eating, <laughs> <laughs> while I'm eating my chicken nuggets. Yeah. And, and somehow it's sort of osmos. Yeah. I don't think that sentence has ever been uttered in the history of sentence. <laughs> every time I eat, I'm looking down at Dysprosium while yeah, I'm yeah. eating my chicken nuggets. Unless you're eating Dysprosios. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Now with added lanthanide. Yeah. <laughs> Brandon, you also said you know a lot about winners of the Nobel Peace Prize. Yeah, so this is another one of those things that comes up in, in quiz a lot, especially internationally. Mm. Because, you know, in America, you can ask about, you know, presidents or things like that. But if quiz are from Estonia, they're not going to care nearly as much as who was mm. president in 1855. But things like... Uh, who, of course, was... Uh, 1855 would have been Franklin Pierce. Franklin Pierce. Oh, um, duh. So... <laughs> Yeah, so things like uh, world history and the periodic table yeah. are more sort of universal. So I, I spend a lot of time ironing those out. And like the periodic table, is it something that you also got to enjoy the knowledge of, or is it just, just something you had to work yourself through? Well, I didn't have a placemat, which I would have loved. Oh, <laughs> I would have loved to say, oh yeah, my, my, I had that with my french fries. No, the closest is there's a British show called Mastermind, which is such a difficult show that for half the show, uh, similar to this, they, you get to pick your subject. Mm -hmm. And I had chosen the Nobel Peace Prize, winners of the Nobel Peace Prize. And then there was a conflict and I couldn't go on, but I had already done all the reading and learned all oh. the stuff. So I'm hoping uh, that knowledge will uh, carry me through. Well, we'll find wow. out soon, but first we have to find out why you know and love so much about Pauly Walnut, uh, the, legend. the things he has said or done on The Sopranos. Okay, so there's actually a story about this because I've done a lot of quizzing, but my proudest accomplishment in quiz, and it's not particularly close. So there's one time I was in Brooklyn and I saw that there was a, you know, sometimes there's like themed quizzes at bars. Yeah. There was one on The Sopranos, which I had, to this day, I've never seen an episode of. Wait, but, what? And it's one of your topics. Okay. You've okay. never seen an episode of The Sopranos. But here's what happened. I was on YouTube and I saw there was a 35, 40 minute compilation of just Pauly Walnuts quotes. Mm -hmm. One quote, next quote, next quote, like no context. Mm -hmm. And I watched that and I went to the quiz, and I won. <laughs> <laughs> so he's really sort of the linchpin of the whole show. It, it was, and so now yeah. I've developed something called the Pauli Principle, mm -hmm. where, where if I'm trying to learn uh, details about uh, uh, something like a prestige drama, and yeah. there's eight seasons, and I don't want to sit through it until yeah. I have time to watch the whole thing, I'll just find like the fifth or sixth most prominent character, look at a 40-minute clip. It's sort of like the Pareto Principle on steroids. Uh -huh. And you can get a surprising amount of questions. You're not going to know it as much as somebody who watched it, but you'll get more than somebody who never watched it. You know what's so interesting about your topics is that you personally are not really passionate about any of them. <laughs> you just... I think you might have broken our show. <laughs> I'm passionate like, about quiz and these are three yeah. things that are very near and dear to my heart. Alright, fair enough. You're so, a machine. Yeah. Well, to summarize, Brandon, you said you know a lot about, not necessarily love, but know a lot about the periodic table, winners of the Nobel Peace Prize, and things Pauly Walnuts has said or done on The Sopranos. Tonight we're going to quiz you about the periodic table. 
Yes. To be fair, to be fair, I also do love the periodic. Yes, <laughs> well, that <laughs> is the one. Yes. Uh, do you have a favorite element? I would say uh, bromine, maybe. Okay. Because um, my brothers, I'm Brandon. My mom's name, my my all my brothers start with BR. So let's say. And let's that's say the bromine. one with that symbol. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and do you read up on uh, the periodic table? Uh, no, but I make sure I eat. Uh, well, I'm a vegetarian mm. now, but I make sure I eat the closest thing I can find to chicken nuggets all the time. So that okay. Desperosium <laughs> can stare me back in the Just face. To, to, yeah. it's, it's sort of like the Madeline of uh, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Do things get added to the periodic table? Actually, the the one I had when I was a kid, there was an area where they sort of had placeholder names because they hadn't discovered the elements, mm -hmm. but you can kind of extrapolate based on the elements that are already in the table, what should exist. Yeah. And since then, they've either named elements that had placeholder names or discovered new elements to fill in the spots. It, it's like finding out that there's more than one character on The Sopranos. <laughs> <laughs> what? False. Fake news. Fake news. All right. Well, just ahead, we're going to enlist the help of a bona fide expert in your topic to test your mastery in the subject with our expert level question worth up to three points. But before that, to let you show your love, here are five trivia questions about the periodic table, each worth one point. Now, if you want it, you're allowed to hint for any two of these five questions. Now, Amy, do listen closely because if Brandon answers incorrectly, you can steal. Amy, by the way, how much do you know about the periodic table? Less than Brandon, but a decent amount. Okay. No, no placemats in your uh, past in that way. I actually did have one at one point. I guess I just, you know, was more focused on my food. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> also, you, you maybe had cable. Yeah. Uh, all right. Here's or friends. Yeah. yeah. Oh, no, no, no. We're, we celebrate knowledge here in all its forms. All right. Here's question number one. Brandon, millions of people got a glimpse of the periodic table thanks to the opening titles of a TV show that featured bromine and barium in the typography of the show's title. What show was it? I believe that is Breaking Bad. Helen? That is correct. That is correct. We happened to mention bromine before. That is one of them. You did not need the hint in that one, but Helen, what would that hint have been? Yeah, science, yo. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Helen Hong, a.k.a. Jesse Pinkman. Uh, question number two. There are many ways to organize the elements in the periodic table. For instance, four blocks or 18 columns or seven rows. What would be the name for these groupings of either such rows or columns? So the columns are called uh, groups and the rows are called periods. Helen? That is correct. That is correct. Exactly right. <laughs> Helen, you were asking about elements that are being added Fun fact, there is an eighth row or period, but it is currently empty. If any new elements are synthesized, they will be listed in that eighth period. So I guess you just draw them in with a Sharpie on your right, placemat. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, sounds good. Yeah. All right, you're two for two, Brandon. Here's question number three. Elements have been discovered all around the world, but perhaps the richest source is the small village of Itterby on a small island in Sweden, where eight different elements were initially found. But which of the following elements was not discovered in Itterby? Was it yttrium, iterbium, holmium, Thulium or thallium? Mm. The town is called Itterby, so that's where you get yttrium, iterbium, terbium, and erbium. Mm -hmm. uh, thulium actually takes its name from a sort of a, a mythical region in North Scandinavia, mm -hmm. but thallium is actually from the Greek for green twig, so it's thallium. Helen? Wow, that is correct. That is correct. <laughs> Brandon Blackwell, very, very Damn. nice. Thank you for those bonus fun facts. Four of the elements discovered on, I don't know why I'm repeating this, he just said it exactly. Uh, thulium does come from an ancient name for Scandinavia. Thallium was discovered by William Crookes in London. All right, you are three for three. You still have your two hints available. Physicist and chemist Marguerite Perret discovered an element in 1939 that ended up being called francium. It's an element that is strongly attracted to cathodes, and for this reason, she wanted to name francium something else, but was advised against it due to concerns that the name would confuse English speakers. What was her intended name, and why did advisors think it would confuse people? Hmm. It's not where I thought that was going. This is a good question. Uh, I have a thought, but I, I would love one of those hints. I Helen, how about so that first hint? 
It wasn't called dogium, and dog owners are pretty smart. Oh, I see. <laughs> Could it be a catium? And what would be the reason that people might be confused by that? Probably think it's named after the animal and not something related to cathodes. Helen? That is correct. That is exactly okay. right. Very good, Brandon. <laughs> Fun fact, Francium was ultimately named after Perret's home country of France. Dozens of elements are named after geographic locations, including Germanium, Californium, Livermorium, Moscovium, and Tennessine. Tennessine. Brandon, you were four for four. You have a chance to go five for five. When it comes to atomic weapons, most people know that uranium and plutonium are used to make bombs explode, but they are not the long-term problem after a nuclear detonation. The most deadly components of nuclear fallout are the radioactive isotopes of three other elements. Name two of those three. Ooh, I would love that second hint. It's Helen, free. how about that second hint? One of them is commonly used to treat table salt. Another is one of the softest of all metals and comes from the Latin for sky blue. Ooh, well, uh, I believe I have a, a thing of Morton's iodized table salt in my pantry back home in New York. So I will say iodine and cesium is from the Greek for sky blue. So I will say iodine and cesium. Helen? That is correct. That is correct. Brandon wow. Blackwell is five for five. Uh, strontium is the uh, third one of those. All right, Brandon, you obviously did very well in that round, but now it is time for your expert level question that requires multiple answers. It is time for your cluster fact. <laughs> we'll be bringing on an expert to discuss your response. Brandon, transuranic elements are the elements that on the periodic table are listed after uranium. They are mostly human-made, and many of them are named after people. Before transuranic elements were synthesized, though, very few elements were named after people. So, for up to three points, what are two elements pre-uranium that were named after people, and what was the first transuranic element discovered that was named after a person, which, in fact, was named after a pair of people? Ooh. Yeah, we try to make all of our cluster questions very accessible to our listeners. So, <laughs> so I believe that the first transuranic element named after a person, so uranium is 92, and so at 96 it would be curium. All right. Who I believe are named after Pierre and Marie uh, Curie. Mm-hmm. Let me count back. That is the sound of gears turning. Mm -hmm. <laughs> once, uh, once you see the smoke coming out of my ears, that's, that's okay. when you know you have to call it. No, I don't think I'm going to pull it inside. No? Okay. No. Uh, all right, I'm sorry. No answers for those, but you do have that answer of uh, curium for the other. All right, well, Helen is taking note of your answers. We have an expert on hand who can tell us for sure. Helen, who do we have tonight? Joining us tonight is a writer, chemist, and UCLA professor who literally wrote the book on the periodic table with the periodic table, its story, and its significance. It's Dr. Eric Sherry. Dr. Eric Sherry is here with us tonight. Dr. Sherry. Hi. Excellent. Well, just to be clear about how overqualified you are to appear on this show, <laughs> Dr. Sherry here is the founder and editor-in-chief of the journal Foundations of Chemistry. He's written multiple award-winning books about the periodic table, published two books of his own collected research papers, and edited three other books on the philosophy of chemistry and the elements. And his books have been translated into 12 languages so far, currently working on a new book about rare earth elements. And he flew here to be with us today. Thank you so much, Dr. Sherry. 
Uh, now tell us about uh, the books that you have uh, here with us on the stage. The Periodic Table. Surprise, surprise. And, and that's your name right there. And this is the, the pocket edition. The of, pocket edition. Of said book. This one's called The Very Short Introduction to the Periodic Table. Excellent. What interests you so much about the Periodic Table that you wanted oh, to write about it so much? Well, it, it wasn't placemats. Okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I've asked a lot of people the same question. It's it's the order of it. There's geography. There's there's history. There's it's very interdisciplinary, as we like to say. Very cool. <laughs> We've talked about how elements are going to be added to it. Do we know what the next one is going to be, or that what type what type well, of element we know it might it's be? It's going to be as rare as hell. <laughs> okay. Uh, people are working on on 119 and 120. Now, how does one go about discovering in this day and age a well, new element in this day and age it's not so much discovery it's creation it's synthesis of elements ah. right they're being artificially manufactured and it takes years and years and it involves teams of literally hundreds of people it's a massive big science project like like reaching the moon or something i watched um the marie curie uh oh, like yeah. fictional you know dramatization of her of her life that was on i think it was on amazon prime or something not that long ago actually so she discovers uranium was it polonium polonium and, and, radium. Then, she, and then she's like sleeping with a vial of it in her bed and wondering <laughs> why she's like her health is deteriorating <laughs> I mean, was it like that in the early days, or just I, like? I I'm guess it was. Yeah, their hands would fall off and things like. That. <gasps> wow, the sacrifices people make for knowledge. Speaking of knowledge, uh, you've been teaching at UCLA for a while. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm curious, what's changed about students over the long course of time that you've taught there, if anything? No, they've they've, they've improved. They've improved. Okay, yeah. that's a relief. I didn't think it was well, going to go that way. <laughs> they know so much more than than I knew at their age. Okay. Instantly, I'm highly impressed by your knowledge of the periodic table. Thank it's you. Really, that's really good. Really Very cool. What's the first thing that you tell students about the periodic table? What What's day one in teaching about it? Well, other than buy my book. Yeah. <laughs> He's no dummy. In, inc <laughs> incidentally, have you read my book? I've, I've read excerpts of it, yeah. You have to say that. <laughs> no, 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 no. I know who you are. I'm, I'm a fan. Oh, very cool. I was going to say, otherwise you fail. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> and, uh, what, what do students get most excited to learn or surprised about learning about the periodic table? Maybe when I give them alternative periodic tables. Oh, what is that? There are a few of them. There's one called the left step periodic table that's much more elegant and uh, oh. hasn't caught on completely, but some of us think that it is the ultimate periodic table. It's oh. like the metric system. I was just going to say that. <laughs> In addition to being what we would think of as a, as a chemist and, and as a professor, you actually are a philosopher as well. Uh, tell yeah. us, how do you bring together the idea of philosophy and chemistry? Because you're very philosophical about elements. Yeah, well, my, my PhD happens to be in history and philosophy of science mm -hmm. with, with a specialty on the periodic table. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, at one time, science and philosophy were one in this same or interesting you know you would be a natural philosopher so they're not they're not that distinct right so i like to think deeply about chemistry and physics and there's a whole cottage industry of philosophy of science the people who consider the conceptual aspects the the, the deeper aspects if you like scientists tend to be working hard at doing science and mm -hmm. not being all that reflective philosophers of science are, are the ones who do that mm. and uh, do you have a favorite element yeah, hafnium, number 72. All right. Why? What, yeah. Why? Because I got to meet the world's leading philosopher of science at the time, Sir Karl Popper, because I wrote a paper be, which was highly critical of him 
sent it to him thinking I, if I was lucky I'd get a one line response with a signature yeah. he called me at home in London saying I want you to come and discuss this with me wow, wow. and, and then did. he said stuff it no and then I, <laughs> no and what, what was that he like he did he got really angry to begin with oh really but this was typical Karl Popper he, okay he got red in the face that's how he won his arguments just by getting really angry with this wow. but that's what I admire about the scientific method is that you have to be open to people challenging you on it and be willing to say oh yeah that makes more sense than what I thought or what I discovered yeah but that's not what he said but. oh <laughs> That was the philosopher part, not the scientist right, part. Right, yeah. right. But after three minutes, he said, is that, is that clear? And I said, yeah, yeah. Of course, of course. <laughs> I was just a graduate student at the time. And from then on, you know, he spent three hours with me and talked to me about when he'd met Einstein, when he'd met Schrodinger. Wow. And he, he was 90 at the time. And he would rush upstairs to bring a biochemical chart which he would show me and it was just an amazing experience that's so, cool and it's all because of the element hafnium because it was a dispute about exactly how hafnium wow. was discovered and wow did you get him to sign your beaker <laughs> very good <laughs> uh last thing i want to ask you about in addition to all of the uh science and smart thinking and things that you do uh you also are a blues guitarist i am a blues guitarist yeah. it's the, one of the main reasons i came to the u.s because i love blues music and there was a blues boom in london eric clapton and hendrix sure <laughs> and people like that but then it sort of faded away but us diehards blues musicians had to come over here to to, to play what an interesting mind and uh, have you combined these uh, interests have you done a periodic table a blues periodic tip? no that's a good idea yeah. you should get my people to talk to your people yes and, uh, For, I will have to first get some people it's, um, <laughs> it's right there professor you can yeah. be like mm, bing chromium yes. bing bing uh, unfortunately, it's finding the rhyme for hafnium. That's always the tricky yeah. part. Let's yeah. get to the reason we brought you here as far as our game sure. is concerned. You heard the question that we asked of Brandon. First, we wanted to know, what are two elements pre-uranium that were named after people? We know now that uh, Brandon was not able to pull uh, an answer in time. Uh, yeah. What are two or uh, three of them that you have? Samarium, which is named after a, a Russian military man who was called Samarsky. Mm -hmm. Vasily Samarsky. And Sumerium, you, you you hadn't gone far back yeah, enough. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I Mind you, that's amazing that you can you can count the periodic table backwards and associate. <laughs> I can't even count it forwards. I don't. <laughs> I don't know the. Per I can't do it even if I'm looking at it. Well, I don't know if I could do it. That's because I'm a trivia player and you're an actual scientist. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's All right, and then what's what's another one of them, Doctor? Uh, the other one is gadolinium, named after Johann Gadolin. And by the way, when I first saw that question, I didn't know the answer. Oh, okay. <laughs> Good, you feel a little oh. better. And then there's one that may or may not qualify. Ah, that's was that an interesting one? one. Gallium was named by a Frenchman called um, Emile Lecoq de Bois-Baudron. Gallus means rooster or cock. Mm -hmm. And uh, it also means Gallia means France. So he named it for France, but he really named it for himself. <laughs> ah! <laughs> uh, very interesting, but unfortunately, Brandon, no points there. But then we wanted to know, what was the first transuranic element discovered that was named after a person? In fact, named after a pair of people. Helen, what did Brandon say? Brandon said curium. And Dr. Uh, Sherry? Absolutely correct. Absolutely right. A point for Brandon there. <laughs> uh, before we let you go, Brandon, is there anything you'd like to ask or say to our expert while we have him here? Uh, I don't have any questions that come to mind, but uh, it's a really great honor to meet you, and I'm a big fan. Thank you. And if you ever need a bassist, you come to me. Oh, look at that! Oh. Bringing people together. 
Uh, Dr. Sherry, if people want to find out more about you or your work, where can they do that? EricSherry.com, Facebook, all the usual places. Excellent. Well, thank you for coming to our unusual place. We appreciate it. Dr. Thank Eric you. Sherry, everybody. Thank you so much. We appreciate you coming out. All right, Helen, what is our score at the end of that round? At the end of that round, Brandon Blackwell has seven points, and Amy Schneider has one point with a round of questions for Amy coming up. That's right. We're going to talk with Amy about a topic she knows about. Plus, later, Brandon and Amy will go head-to-head in our Fast Facts round. That's all to find a winner on Go Fact Yourself. Hey, you can't put a butcher in a box, but you know what Butcher Box does? They send you a box of butchered meat. That kind of made sense. Helen, what the <laughs> hell am I talking about? You're talking about Butcher Box, <laughs> a carefully curated selection of 100% grass fed beef, free range organic chicken, wild caught seafood, and more, all delivered right to your doorstep. Yes, and they have so many more options than your typical grocery store, and you never really know where that meat is coming from or if it's going to be the great quality, but you know that when you're going to order from ButcherBox. And right now, ButcherBox is offering new members two free New York strips and eight ounces of cold cracked lobster in your first box, plus $10 off. How are they making any money? I don't claim to know anything about how they make their money, Jay Keith, but I do know that ButcherBox is the ultimate convenience. Get just what you ordered delivered right to your doorstep with free shipping to the continental United States. Yeah, and the boxes include recipe inspiration, guides, tips, and hacks, some even personalized just for you, so you can cook up mouth-watering meals. But we should again emphasize there is not an actual butcher in the box. Is there? No, there isn't. No, there isn't. But ButcherBox <laughs> does help save you money. It makes you feel good about the food that you're eating because you are getting good deals on premium meat. Hey, Helen, how about that call to action? ButcherBox is offering our listeners free New York strips and lobster plus $10 off your first box. Sign up today at ButcherBox.com GoFact to get two 10-ounce New York strip steaks and eight ounces of lobster claw and knuckle meat free in your first order. That's right, knuckle meat, plus $10 off your first box. Helen, what's that website again? ButcherBox.com GoFact. And that's why we say... Thank, thank you, you ButcherBox. Butcher Butcher is not in the box. Since the dawn of time, man has dreamed of bringing life back from the dead. From Orpheus and Eurydice to Frankenstein's monster, resurrection has long been merely the stuff of myth, fiction, and fairy tale. Until now. Actually, we still can't bring people back from the dead. That would be crazy, but the Dead Pilot Society podcast has found a way to resurrect great dead comedy pilots from Hollywood's finest writers. Every month, Dead Pilot Society brings you a reading of a comedy pilot that was sold and developed but never produced, performed by the funniest actors from film and television. How does Dead Pilot Society achieve this miracle? The answer can only be found at MaximumFun.org. Welcome back to Go Fact Yourself with our guests, Brandon Blackwell and Amy Schneider. Once again, here's J. Keith Van Stratton. Thank you, Helen. Thank you, everybody. All right, Amy, of your many interests, you told us you know a lot about the book Moby Dick, the Dutch War of Independence, and the TV show Daria. Let's find out a little bit more about each of those. First, tell us what the book Moby Dick means to you. Uh, yeah, that's it is a book that I was fortunate enough to never be assigned in school. And 
So you uh, actually wanted to read it. Yeah. That does yeah. make a difference, doesn't it? Yeah, like kind of late in college, after college, I was going through a thing of like, I should, you know, classic books, I should give them a shot. Mm-hmm. And some of them, including Moby Dick, turned out to be really great. And I think that, you know, one of the things about Moby Dick is that it's just as an adventure story is mm-hmm. really like engaging and cool and gripping and has all these like, you know, action scenes and cool images and things like that. But at the same time, it's so philosophical and it'll so like I'd be reading it and just hit some metaphor or image or something that would just like floor me like and I, I never could see it coming. It's, it's one of those books I've, I've reread a bunch of times and every time I find new things in it. Very cool. Next, you said you know a lot about the Dutch War of Independence. I, you know, years and years ago, read a book about actually the English Civil War, and it was by this historian, C.V. Wedgwood. And that was her whole period was kind of starting with the Dutch War of Independence, sometimes called the 80 Years War, ranging up through the 30 Years War, through the English Civil War, and, and into the Restoration. And what I really find interesting about that era is it's when, like, our sort of like modern Western ideas of like democratic government took hold. It was the first time people were really like overthrowing kings and trying to live without a king for a while. But at the same time, the people who were leading that, who were the sort of like liberals by modern political standards, <laughs> were also like the most like hardcore conservative Christians that you can imagine. Like wow. they were extremely dogmatic. Protestant, but like, you know, not tolerant, not any of these things. The Massachusetts colonies were all about that same thing, and they were kind of the intellectual force behind the revolution. So that all our inheritance started in that period. Very cool. By the way, I have to say, uh, I am of Dutch ancestry. I did not know we had a war of independence. So that's... (laughs) That's what our uh, <laughs> that's what we're dealing with today. You, you, did. Uh, you beat Spain. Congratulations. Oh, good job. <laughs> good job, I, Hartog, I presume. I was feeling stupid, Jay Keith, sitting here being like, I don't even know who was who they were fighting independence yeah. from. But I'm glad you said that because yeah. now I feel less dumb. Yeah, and, and you're welcome to share my ancestry in that context <laughs> as well. All right, great. And then finally, Amy, you said you know a lot about the TV show Daria. As a 40-year-old woman, it's you know, was kind of aimed right at me. <laughs> I just think it's just the best animated show ever. It seems so cartoonish and like these seem like such exaggerated caricatures, but then over the course of the series, like they're just very real and they're mm. very like the stakes are realistic for a high school, but you know, everything is so important when you're in high school and it mm. kind of gets that without being melodramatic. This attitude of, of my little generation that was like, Raised with Gen X, like, cynicism and, like, not wanting to be part of the system and Mm -hmm. sell out and all these sort of things. But by the time we got into college, like, that was all gone and it was, like, millennial (laughs) time and we didn't know what to do. Yeah. Well, we like to buy things, too, it turns out. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, All right. Well, to summarize, Amy, you said you know a lot about the book Moby Dick, the Dutch War of Independence, and the TV show Daria. Today we're going to quiz you about the TV show Daria. Yay. You mentioned you watched it as uh, it was first on the air. Have you watched it since? Many times. Before it was released on DVD, I made my own DVD set (laughs) of it, which is arguably better than the one that was eventually released. (laughs) And you have a favorite episode or favorite character, someone you relate to? Well, I really like the musical episode, Mm -hmm. but like probably my favorite is right before the season finale is called Boxing Daria. It's about Daria kind of like really like re-experiencing some trauma from her childhood Mm -hmm. and processing it. It just really like hit home to me. Yeah. And it's a cartoon and yet they still were able to take (laughs) on stuff like that. Well, just ahead, we're going to enlist the help of an expert in your topic. But before that, to give you a chance to show off, here are five 
trivia questions about it, each worth one point. Now, if you want it, you're allowed a total of two hints in these five questions. Brandon, do listen closely because if Amy gets any of them wrong, you can steal. Brandon, by the way, how much do you know about the TV show Daria? Is <gasps> zero. A zero, okay. But, but I can try to fudge some answers and we'll see how that goes. Yeah. Although I do not think Amy will get any wrong. I'm All ready right. for her to start pulling up from four. Well, we'll try what? to find out who the fifth listed character was so you can uh, cram for <laughs> next time. I was going to suggest maybe Brittany or Mr. DiMartino. So, okay. Yeah. Excellent. Well, here's question number one. Amy, the TV show Daria is the longest running animated series in MTV's history, and it was spun off from another long running animated series on MTV, a show that featured two boys making fun of music videos back when MTV played music videos. What show was that? Uh, that would be Beavis and Butthead. Helen? That is correct. That is correct for the point. Very good. You did not need the hint, but Helen and I were very eager to give that hint. Helen, what would that hint have been? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. Fire, fire. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Breaking the law. All right, uh, moving on. <laughs> Fun fact, in March of this year, Daria celebrated the 25th anniversary of the first episode, which does not seem possible. All right, here's question number two, Amy. It can be difficult to come up with new recipes to feed your family, which is perhaps why it seemed that at almost every dinner, Daria's mom served what Italian dish? Frozen lasagna? Helen? That is correct. That is correct. It was lasagna. <laughs> A fun fact, Daria's mom is named Helen. Ah. <laughs> uh, a fun fact for everybody else. Uh, <laughs> in the episode where Daria's dad had a heart attack, he's serving tacos. Lesson learned, stick the lasagna. <laughs> All right, here's question number three. Mark Thompson voiced several characters on the TV series, but which character did Mark Thompson not voice? Was it high school quarterback Kevin Thompson, mystic spiral drummer Max Tyler, history teacher Mr. Anthony DiMartino, English teacher, Mr. Timothy O'Neill, or one of the three J's, Jamie? I don't know, but I'm thinking through the voices, mm -hmm. and I feel like the one that seems the most different to me is probably Mr. O'Neill, but I'll take a hint. Oh, all right. I just remembered I could do that. Yeah. Uh, Helen, how about that first hint? Mr. O'Neill is a voice that Mark Thompson did. Oh, that, uh -oh. I'm very timely that hint, it turns what? out. Yes. <laughs> I'll go with Kevin. Helen? That is not correct. No, I'm terribly sorry. Brandon with a chance to steal. I will say Mr. DiMartino, because that's the only one from the list that I remember. <laughs> that was mentioned that, earlier. Yeah. yeah. Helen? That is not correct. No, I'm terribly oh. sorry. It was Max Tyler. Max Tyler was yeah. voiced by Was Stevens. Fun fact, while Mark Thompson voiced four characters, four different actors voiced one character, the role of Mac. All right, no point there, but uh, no point stolen. Let's see how you do bouncing back with question number four. Daria's taste in decorating is, let us say, eclectic. Take her school locker, the inside of which displays a photo of what famous event in history? Oh, wow. Why? If you'd asked me about her bedroom, I would have been all over it. <laughs> yeah, I'll, uh, I'll take that second hint. All right, Helen, how about that second hint? Oh, the humanity. Oh, that's right. The, the wreck of the Hindenburg. Helen? That is correct. That is correct for the point. <laughs> fun fact, I have no fun facts about the Hindenburg. Yeah. <laughs> Here's question number five. You have no hints available, Amy, but let's see how you can do on your own. Daria loves to read, and according to various blogs, in the 65 episodes of the TV show Daria, Daria read or referenced about 55 books. In the 10th episode of the first season, when Daria and her sister are grounded, what is one of the two books Daria reads to pass the time? Yeah, I'm not, not going to remember the specific episode. I'm just mm -hmm. trying to picture one of the books that she read. <laughs> 
You have 55 um, to choose from, apparently. Yeah. Yes. I don't have another hint, and okay. nothing's coming to mind, so I'm going to say Moby Dick. Helen? That is correct. That is correct, my boys! Wow. Incredible. That's how good she is, folks. Even that when she is, doesn't know it, she knows that's it. That's right. Moby Dick was one of the others, the brothers Karamazov. A fun fact, when Daria's sister Quinn sees her reading Moby Dick, she asks, how can you sit there and read a book about an animal? That's so second grade. Daria does not reply. <laughs> All right, very nice job, Amy. But now here's your expert level question that requires multiple answers. It is time for your cluster fact. <laughs> we'll be bringing on an expert to discuss your response. Several articles, as well as academic papers, have cited Daria as having a uniquely feminist voice that shaped a generation of women. And some important women helped give Daria that voice. For up to three points, what woman voiced the role of Daria? What woman co-created the show Daria and was a producer on its first few seasons? And who is one of the two women who, as part of the band Splendora, sang and performed the theme song to Daria? I was just looking up Splendor on Wikipedia the other day, and I'm not going to get that one. Okay. The who voiced Daria was her last name was Grandstaff. I want to say Tracy Grandstaff. All right. Maybe that's what I'm thinking. Uh, then sorry, what was the second question? Second part is uh, what woman co-created the TV show and was a producer on the first few seasons? Uh, S- Susie Lewis. I feel like both of those names are close. I'm not sure if either of them is 100% correct. Okay. And then do you want to just give a shout out to uh, someone and pretend that they were one of the Splendora singers? Um, uh, Fiona Apple. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> this would be something. <laughs> All right. Helen is taking note of your answers. We have an expert on hand who can tell us for sure. In fact, we have two experts. Helen, who do we have tonight? Joining us tonight via Zoom are the Emmy-winning co-creator of Daria and the voice of Daria. It's Susie Lewis and Tracy Grandstaff. (laughs) Susie Lewis and Tracy Grandstaff. They'll be right up here for you to see. Hello, Susie, (laughs) and hello, Tracy. Hello. Hello, hello. Thank you so much for joining us. What an absolute treat. This is overwhelming. Amy, are you kidding me with that Moby Dick answer? (laughs) I was impressed. Susie, did you remember that? No, I didn't know any books whatsoever. So that was awesome. (laughs) Uh, Now, you worked very closely on the show, uh, and you've stayed in touch as well, or is this a surprise reunion for both of you? No, we have a lot of mutual friends. This is a surprise because I got a last minute call, like, could you do this? So that was exciting. And I appreciate your detective work for pulling me in because this is an honor to be part of it. But oh, thank you. Susie and I have had a lot of really fun crossovers with reunions with friends and fan events. And it's great to see you. It's always great to see you, TG. <laughs> Put the cans back on for Amy. Get her back in the game. All right. Well, uh, you both came to Daria from Beavis and Butthead. Uh, what did each of you do on Beavis and Butthead? Susie, let's start with you. I actually produced the video portion of that show. So I got to pick out all the music videos, which meant that I sat in my office and had music videos delivered to me on three-inch tape so that I could... <laughs> put them in my machine and watch them and then pick my favorites. And uh, Tracy, what about you? What was your role on Beavis and Butthead? I was in the pro department. So we would help write episodes. We would sit in the room and watch all the videos that Susie selected and make just obnoxious comments while some (laughs) poor PA had to sit and write down all of our obnoxious, snarky remarks. Yeah. They didn't pay anybody. So they had, being one of like the only female writers on staff, they threw me in the booth and I just sort of made up. So I did Stuart's mother. 
mm-hmm. uh, which was a lot of fun, and a couple of rock chicks, and Cassandra, an art chick. And Jay Keith, you're giving me flashbacks to Beavis. You do a crazy good Beavis. Oh, thank you so much. <laughs> thank you. Terrifying. Yes. Terrifying. Unfortunately, all of my monetizable skills are about 25 years old, but uh, nevertheless, <laughs> I appreciate the compliment. Uh, yeah, I know. Like, um, Helen, I just want to say two thumbs up on Butthead. That was Thank you. Yeah. Very much. Well, that's <laughs> my first and only time having done Butthead. So <laughs> I could feel, I could feel that you were feeling it. Thank you. Oh, thank you. We I appreciate, appreciate that. that. Uh, tell us about how Daria came to be on Beavis and Butthead and then uh, came to have her own show. I think Daria, in general, they were looking for a smart foil to, to start, I mean, within Beavis and Butthead, she kind of admired that they were so uh, subversive and just mm-hmm. didn't really care about the system, much like Daria herself. She was anti the system and all, all things structured. And then Susie can kind of tell you what happened to her after she moved to Lawndale. Yeah, so I think it was very surprising for everyone, including people behind the scenes, that Beavis and Butthead was so successful. Hmm. And it kind of prompted some of the execs at MTV to say, hey, like, wouldn't it be great if we could do a show that was more geared towards girls? Mm -hmm. So Daria, being the only female character in Beavis and Butthead, was a great idea for a spinoff. We tested them in a focus group of about eight people, and the rest, they say, is history. Wow. Or her story. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Amy mentioned that her favorite episode is the musical episode. And I know, Tracy, that was one that really stood out to you as well as a performer. Uh-uh, <laughs> I say stood out. I didn't say it was your favorite, but it was memorable. I'll just say that I am tone deaf and horrible. Even when singing in the car, my daughter will just basically open a window so that she can't hear. <laughs> she... Has perfect pitch, but I do not. The musical is also my favorite episode, too, and Tracy was such a trooper. We knew she hated singing, and for the (laughs) character Daria, it just didn't matter. And the fact that she, like, spoke to the music worked out just perfectly. It was great. And then I was thinking we really should have done covers of really popular songs and just Mm. had it in Daria tone. So it'd be like, beep, beep. Get on board. It's the soul train. <laughs> what do you think about the legacy when you, when you think back? You see, you see people like Amy. It obviously meant so much to her. You've interacted with so many fans. What do you think about it 25 years down the line? I think it's great. And it's like anyone that's ever had any kind of success in TV, we say, like, you don't expect it. Of course, we didn't expect mm-hmm. it. It's great to have the attention. It was one of my very first jobs of my career. So to have that happen makes me feel like a child star because (laughs) since then, nothing has been as great. I was really spoiled by having so much creative control and input on a series. I haven't really been able to do it as much Mm -hmm. or as particular as I did then. And what about you, Tracy? Oh, I will. Hands down, Amy is a complete indicative. She's completely the perfect kind of fan that the show attracts. So, you know, Amy, my heart just, I I was thrilled to be coming on the show just to have a moment with you because you are, I think, Daria would feel like she had found her people just with the show. I just have yet to meet a jerk fan of Daria. Oh, that's great to hear. Really smart, really cool. Yeah, that must be refreshing to create something that jerks don't like. I'm totally kidding. I love all of you. Oh, and uh, Tracy is holding up a a picture of Daria right now. It's fan art. 
Oh, they constantly fair. send little gifts, and it tends to be just their, their artistic versions of the show, and it's just pretty cool. Very so, yes. cool. Oh, but let's talk about what you all have been uh, up to since then. Susie, you said that you've literally had 100 jobs since your work on Daria, uh, including, one that yes. won, including one that won you an Emmy. Tell us about that. That was a great, really fun, sweet show. It was called Sea Rescue. It was on ABC morning television, mostly for kids, but... We worked with SeaWorld on how much work they do with regards to rescuing and rehabbing and re-releasing animals back into the wild. So I got to meet a lot of animals, which was really sweet. And then, of course, to win an Emmy. It's really nice to have one, I have to say. I do love it. <laughs> you're, you're pro winning Emmys. And uh, Tracy, you, uh, you went in a different direction. You became an executive. Tell us about uh, the route that you took and what you're up to now. I went from writing an MTV to writing freelance on some Nickelodeon shows and going into comedy writing and then got recruited out of that back into working at Comedy Central as an exec within the promotion group and then... That segued into getting recruited by NBC to oversee, and I kind of had a creative team within NBC. We're sort of like an in-house agency, mm -hmm. and we do a lot of the promotion and marketing and on-air promotion and social and digital stuff for our shows, including Late Night. Oh, wow. Uh, with Seth Meyers and uh, The Tonight Show starring Jimmy Fallon, so in SNL. All right, well, let's get to the reason we brought both of you here as far as our game is concerned. You heard the questions that we asked of Amy. First, we wanted to know, what woman voiced the role of Daria? Helen, what did Amy say? Amy said Tracy Grandstaff. And? You nailed it. You that nailed it. There's a point. Next, we wanted to know what woman co-created the show Darian was a producer on its first few seasons. Helen, what did Amy say? Amy was a little underconfident, but she said Susie Lewis. And? Surprise, surprise, nailed it. You nailed it as well. <laughs> Another point. And finally, Helen, who did Amy say was one of the singer-performers of the band Splendora who sang and performed the theme song to Daria? Amy said Fiona Apple. And? <laughs> <laughs> What's the buzzer sound? Unfortunately, I, I wish she'd be amazing. Oh my gosh! No, I'm sorry, it was not Fiona Apple. Who were those singer performers? It was uh, Janet and Trisha Weibel. Ah, okay. Sorry, no point there, but you did very well in that, nonetheless, Amy. Amy, while we have our experts here, is there anything you'd like to ask or say to them? I mean, first, just to say, like, you know, I, it's just such an amazing show, and it's meant so much to me in my life, and you know, so thank you for that. Like, I mean, there's like a ton of things I could ask, but I guess I'll just ask, like, you know, I think like. Most TV shows, I feel like, you know, it got better as, as it went on. I was wondering, like, just sort of, like, from the inside of making it, like, did the way you sort of saw, see it change, like, sort of what the show was or the characters, how, you know, how did, did, you, did you intentionally shift any focus or anything like that as, as it went on? Or did you, you pretty much have it nailed down at the beginning? We didn't have anything planned at the very beginning. In fact, it was one episode written. We made it up entirely as we went along. <laughs> a lot of the actors that did some voices like, really helped us lean into like some of the character development as we were working together. We knew that, for example, Mark Thompson could do so many different voices, so we had to give him more and more roles. Um, but it wasn't really until like like the middle of season two that uh, someone told us that we needed to kind of figure out a story arc for the next season <laughs> and seasons down the road, which is like, you know, most people today will pitch like, I think five seasons as a minimum of wow. what's happening in each season and along with character development and such. And we didn't do any of that. Which wow. was, I think, great. 
Yeah. Yeah. It gives you a lot of freedom, it sounds like. Yeah. Very, very cool. Well, it's so wonderful that you joined us today. Uh, if people want to find out more about what you're up to or where to find you, Susie, where can people do that? Well, I have an Instagram, a girl in a box, all lowercase, one word. And I have an occasional Daria post going on there. And sometimes I'll sneak in some personal things as to what I'm up to. Very cool. And Tracy, where can people find out what you're up to? I am a very unreliable Facebook friend <laughs> okay. and uh, Instagram voyeur. So there's not, I mean, I'm like I said, I'm impressed that you found me. But uh, in general, if there's a, bu- a good BuzzFeed Daria piece, I will post it. So come find me. Excellent. <laughs> We're so happy that we found our way to you. Tracy Grandstaff and Susie Lewis, thank you so much for joining us. Thank, thank you, guys. You. Pleasure to meet you, Amy. Thank you. All right, Helen, what is our score as we head into the final round? Jake Heath, it is a tie right now. Wow. Both Brandon Blackwell and Amy Schneider each have seven points. All right. Well, now it is time for our final round we call Fast Facts. I'll read 10 statements. Each contestant will answer with true or false. I'll start with Brandon and alternate between each guest. Each correct answer is worth one point, and you may notice a very subtle theme based on tonight's location. (laughs) Again, the answer to each statement is true or false. Here we begin. Brandon, we are currently in a hotel in Las Vegas. True. Correct. We are off to a roaring start. <laughs> Amy, there's a hotel in Las Vegas shaped like a pyramid. Uh, true. Correct. Brandon, that pyramid-shaped hotel is called the Egyptian. False. Correct. Amy, that pyramid-shaped hotel is called the Luxor. True. Correct. Brandon, the Luxor pyramid is taller than the Great Pyramids in Egypt. False. Correct. Amy, the Luxor pyramid is taller than the Wynn Hotel. True. Incorrect. Brandon, the Wynn Hotel is taller than the Washington Monument. True. Correct. Amy, the Bellagio Hotel is taller than the Wynn Hotel. False. Correct. Brandon, the Bellagio Hotel's lake is wider than the Titanic was long. False. Incorrect. No, it would have fit in there. Amy, the (laughs) Bellagio Hotel's lake is available to some people for jet skiing. True. Correct. Brandon, Richard Branson has jet skied in the Bellagio's lake. True. Correct. Amy, Bruno Mars has jet skied in the Bellagio's lake. True. Correct. Brandon, apparently you have to be a celebrity zillionaire to jet ski in the Bellagio's Lake. (laughs) It looks like it's true. Correct. Amy, I now have my career and financial goal to be allowed to jet ski in the Bellagio's Lake. (laughs) Uh, I mean... Do I have to actually do it, or can I just reach that level? That, that would be oh, true. Oh, I mean, I now have my oh, career goals. Oh, then yes, I, true, true. <laughs> Correct. And finally, Brandon, in the meantime, I'll be riding a kickboard in the pool of the Hampton in Tropicana. And I'll be right there with you, true. <laughs> Correct. All right, we're not going to count those last few. Let's give Amy Schneider and Brandon Blackwell a hand as Helen tabulates the final score. Helen, are you ready to announce the winner on today's program? I am at the end of the game. Brandon Blackwell has 11 points and Amy Schneider has 12 points. Oh, what a high-scoring game. Congratulations, Amy. You are the facting champion on Go Fact Yourself. What will you do with your championship? I'm going to Vegas. (laughs) You know what? We'll pay for it. (laughs) All right, we're going to give everyone here on the panel a chance to mention or promote anything they might have coming up. Brandon Blackwell, where can people find you and what you're up to? Uh, You can find me uh, making bad jokes on Twitter at underscore Brandon2 underscore. Uh, right now, I'm on a heavy studying binge for a competition in Berlin in the fall, but uh, next year, I'll be doing some stuff, and you could always catch me on ABC's The Chase uh, streaming on Hulu. Excellent. We're so happy that we caught you here today. Brandon Blackwell, everyone. Thanks so much for coming. Lovely to meet you. Amy Schneider, where can people find you? I'll, I'm on the social media at, uh, at JeopardAmy, and yeah, I got the Jeopardy Tournament of Champions is coming up. It will air beginning, I believe, October 31st, 
And uh, yeah, otherwise you can find me wherever I am out and about and ask to take a selfie to send to your mom because that's what everybody wants to do. <laughs> All right, good. I won't be the only one. Amy hey. Schneider, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks so much for joining us. Lovely to meet you. Ladies and gentlemen, you are so lucky because my hosting partner is right next to me and her name is Helen Hong. <laughs> Woo! Thank you. What do you have going on, Helen? My comedy special, Well Hong, is on every streaming platform except Netflix. Who needs Netflix? <laughs> Thanks, agents. And you can follow me on the social medias at funny Helen Hong, because we know that other Helen Hong. She's not funny. She's not funny, <laughs> but this one is. She is the funny Helen Hong. And me, you can find me on Twitter at J underscore Keith, on Instagram at jkeith.net, all spelled out. That just leads me to thank Brandon Blackwell, Amy Schneider, Dr. Eric Sherry, Susie Lewis, and Tracy Grandstaff, and everybody here at the Game Show Bootcamp. And thank you for listening and supporting our show at MaximumFun.org. I'm J. Keith Van Stratton. Good night. Like what you hear? Come see us live. It's happening again. Go to GoFactorPod.com for our schedule and tickets. Meanwhile, please like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter and Instagram, all at GoFactorPod, update our wiki at GoFactorWiki.Fandom.com, and buy our T-shaped shirt at MaxFunStore.com. And give us a great review on your favorite podcast platform, like JenK1231 did on Apple Podcasts. He, she, or they said, this show is great for trivia hounds like me. I appreciate the fact that the celebrities get overwhelmed by the surprise guest as well. Well, shows that they're human too. Thanks, Gen K1231. I guess they are human. <laughs> Helen? Go Fact Yourself is a panel quiz program devised and produced by Jim Newman and J. Keith Van Stratton and comes to you via transcription from the game show Boot Camp in Las Vegas, Nevada. <laughs> Questions were compiled by the Trivia Industrial Complex. We are produced in collaboration with Maximum Fun. Maximum Fun senior producer is Laura Swisher. Associate producer and editor is Julian Burrell. Our live show engineer, a.k.a. The Sound Wizard, is Dave McKeever. Our theme song and incidental music were written and performed by Jonathan Green. Research assistance provided by Adam Needif. Quiz assistance provided by Leora Saul and Brian Phillips. Promotional graphics by Erich Tran. Added support from Christine Vallada and Dave Bianchi. Special thanks to G. Paul Bailey and everyone at Game Show Bootcamp. Lynn Hamilton at Grand Canyon River Guides. Joe Kent at the National Atomic Testing Museum. Michael Prisgocki at Priz Sound Company. Jody Ellis, Dan Avila, Clint Tauscher, and Sarah Rodenbach. I've been Helen Hong! Let's go watch Dory again! Yeah. And gamble? No. No, eat some elements. Yeah. Yummy! <laughs> MaximumFun.org Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.